be in uh, Acts chapter 3 today. Um, Acts chapter 3, if you have a Bible, you can open it to that. We're going to cover the first section of it here, and then I'm going to give some homework to do uh, for the rest of this week so that we stay on track for finishing Acts in uh, time for Advent. That's how far out we are looking at being in Acts, and so uh, all the way from now until Christmas. Um, I think that all of us have a desire, no matter how kind of uh, how much you like change or not, uh, all of us have a desire uh, to keep some level of things the way they are when times are good, right? We, we all have a desire to kind of maintain the status quo of the good life when we're in the good life. Uh, and it's kind of a famous thing. I don't know if you remember the show The Office, uh, but there is a line. Okay. Whoa, whoa. A lot of you remember it. Uh, there's a line in there, a character named Andy says, I wish someone would have told me that I was in the good old days when I was in them. Uh, and so all of us want to maintain that, right? And uh, some of us are in those good old days right now. Some of us can remember the good old days and wish we were back in them. Uh, maybe that's you. And I wonder as we move from chapter two into chapter three in the book of Acts, uh, if there wasn't some of this maybe in the back of the heads and the hearts of the apostles. Because remember, they're people like us, right? And and so if you think about it, there's probably some desire, I'm imagining this, but there's some desire to kind of stay in the upper room experience and just stay in that moment of Holy Spirit's doing his thing and we're together and it's amazing. Um, I would have been tempted to want this if that was me. But thankfully, we, that's not what happened. And instead, we see the explosion, the expansion of the church by the time we get into Acts 2 and Acts 3 by the Holy Spirit's power. And so we're going to see an exa- a prime example of what happens uh, in, in the beginning of chapter 3. So we're going to be just a bit shorter today than what's typical so we can enjoy lunch together because your attention span is going to be like even shorter than normal today because we're smelling the food. I know it, right? I don't, even have time to, I don't even have time to make this joke, but we're doing it. So my goal for the sermon today is to simply get us to leave with a question in our minds, okay? So my, my, my role is not to answer all the questions. My role is probably to put questions on the table for you to think about, right? You think about a teacher at school, a math teacher. Their job isn't to do the math problems for you. Their job is to put problems on the blackboard so that you can uh, think about those and and learn how to deal with them. So here's the question I hope we'll leave with. What is it that we really have? What do we really have? Okay, so let's start by looking at verses 1 to 11 of chapter 3 of Acts. So a little background. Luke, the author of Acts, remember he's a doctor, Dr. Luke. Uh, He chooses to use... This, as the first example of the kind of things the Holy Spirit-empowered church can do uh, as Peter and John encounter this person uh, that we see in verse 1. So verse 1, Acts chapter 3. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, understand here from the context of what we're reading that at this point, Peter and John, and for that matter, the rest of the followers of Jesus here, are Jewish. They're continuing in their practices as Jews. This is the the beginning of the Jerusalem church, okay? And so they continued their attendance at designated times of prayer, right? If you thought that uh, weekly prayer was a little much, they had daily prayer at the temple, and they would walk there, and they would pray there every day. Uh, You even wonder if this specific time of day prayers would have maybe held special meaning for these new believers in Jesus Because it's the hour that Jesus would have said it's finished in John 19 and the other Gospels. Uh, Whatever their reason was, what we have to know is this is a very busy time of prayer. Probably the busiest hour of prayer 
in the daily prayers. And so Peter and John here would have been part of a big crowd of people, right? I mean, I, I think the closest context I can think of when I'm part of a big crowd of people walking somewhere is like going to a sporting event or maybe a movie, uh, maybe church if it's a big event, right? You're in a group of people all going kind of to the same place, and that's where they find themselves. So that's the setting. And so we keep going then in verse 2. And a man lame, we might say in our uh, nomenclature, disabled, right? A disabled man who was disabled from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. They is kind of just the people who are helping him. They laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Alms are uh, kind of charity. And so as Peter and John are walking along to prayer in this you know, group of people, they encounter this man who's been disabled his entire life. He's born this way. And so what we see from this text is that this guy has never taken a step. He's never walked in his life. He's been disabled from birth. But what we also see is that his spot, Luke points out where he sits, his spot to ask for alms is one of the best spots in the city to do this because of visibility. Uh, He's in a high traffic spot. Uh, It's at the beautiful gate, the Nicanor Gate, which is uh, what the historian Josephus tells us, about 75 feet high and 60 feet wide. It was When I read it, it was in cubits, and I thought, nobody knows what cubits are, so I calculated for you. You're welcome. 75 feet high, 60 feet wide-ish, and it was overlaid with Corinthian bronze, which was more valuable uh, even than other metals. One commentator said it far exceeded in value those things plated with silver and set in gold. So Corinthian bronze, really, really precious and valuable. So this is a perfect place for someone who's asking for money to sit and ask for money because you're going to see them, right? And on top of that, Judaism would have considered giving alms to somebody like this something that would gain merit for you. You, you, This is a good religious practice. So he's kind of putting people on the spot a little bit in order to get some alms. And, And you might say whatever you want to say. I say smart guy. Right? He's sitting in a good spot, knows what he's doing. And so the man's position at the sort of religious center of Israel would have profited him well. He would have been doing okay doing that, yet he was crippled. And so here comes this encounter with the divine in verses 3 to 6. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple. Now, I, I couldn't figure out why did he see them? I mean, I know it's the Holy Spirit, but like why did he pick them out of the crowd? But he does. Seeing them going into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So they haven't even gotten to the gate yet. And this beggar has sort of caught eyes with them, right? He's made eyes contact with them. And so uh, for whatever reason, they look like good prospects. I don't know. Maybe he knows them from the stuff that's happened recently. And so he begins, we can imagine his sort of normal, uh, at that time, they would have used kind of a pre-rehearsed whale sort of to kind of get your attention and get you to give. Uh, And so he's maybe asking, you know, do you have any money to spare? Whatever it is. And Peter says to him, look at us. Hey, pay attention over here. And he's probably thinking the next thing that's going to happen is Peter's going to reach into his robe or his money bag and get out some money 
and give it to him, right? That would be the normal expectation. And then Peter says something totally unexpected. I don't have any silver or gold, right? And so in a normal setting, why would you even say anything to the beggar if you don't have silver or gold? That's what he's asking for. Unless you're going to say something rude to him. So this is a kind of an interesting interaction. Maybe the, maybe the facial expression changed on the person begging. Maybe he thought he was getting mocked. I'm sure it's, it happened, right? It, it happens today. But, but then here comes these words that are infused by the Holy Spirit's powder, power out of Peter's mouth. He says, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, this isn't part of what I wanted to say necessarily today, but I was thinking about this even this morning. One of the implications of this, we see that this man was probably doing pretty well receiving alms, but one of the implications of this healing is the dignity that he would have now had in being able to work. And that's something important for us to understand that restoring the dignity of people's humanity is part of what God is doing in the world. I would even argue through the church, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Luke, Dr. Luke, is really careful in his wording to make sure that we really get the impact, I think medically, because Luke is a doctor, in verses 7 and 8. Look at verse 7. And he took him, Peter took this beggar by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. So this guy couldn't walk. So he doesn't budge, apparently, after Peter speaks these words of healing to him. But this is, this is what Peter does, right? He's kind of crass. He's in your face. So he grabs the guy by the arm and he's like, hey, come on, you're healed. Get up. And so he, at that moment, the Greek word instantly, immediately, right then, everything comes together. Here's what one commentator had to say about this. Perhaps only medical men can fully appreciate the meaning of these words. They are the peculiar technical words of a medical man. The word translated feet is only used by Luke and occurs nowhere else. It indicates his discrimination between different parts of the human heel. The phrase ankle bones is again a medical phrase that's found nowhere else. The word leaping up describes the coming suddenly into socket of something that was out of place and the articulation of a joint. This then is a very careful medical description of what happened in connection with this man. So sometimes it's easy for us to miss that in this. I don't know if I've never experienced this, but I've ministered to people who have, who've maybe had an illness or something for a long time, and they've had muscles atrophy, and they've had to regain that muscle function. Well, for someone who has had a disability their entire life, they never had that muscle function. And so sometimes we miss the, the sort of significance and the dramatic moment that this is when we read about the miracles, because we just are reading words, right? And we forget that, like, wait a minute, how does that actually happen? In Matthew, as an example, we read that one Sabbath that Jesus told a man with a withered hand to reach out his hand. Now, this was a hand that was completely atrophied. No muscle uh, matter really left. It's a crippled hand, but before their eyes, that hand becomes whole. Muscles are there that weren't there before. In Matthew 8, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we read about a leper 
And if you didn't know, they would have to yell out, unclean, 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 because that infection is so contagious, everyone was afraid of it. This guy was full of leprosy. We can assume his features are pretty grotesque. One of the things that happens when people have this leprosy disease, which is a nerve disease, is that they'll get injuries they don't feel because of the leprosy, and they will get infections and things will fall off. Fingers, noses, all kinds of stuff. So it's a scary looking disease that no one else wants to get. And Jesus heals this man in full view of people. And think about what that means. All the things that were wounds that needed to be healing were healed, right? We, we kind of just like, oh, he healed them and then we move on. But like, wait a minute. Things were made whole that hadn't been made whole. So this is what is happening in the text we're looking at right now, right? This guy is healed in a, in a moment. It says, leaping up, he stood and began to walk. Now, he'd never done this before. How did he know how to walk? That's part of the healing. Maybe he took a little bit of a tentative step. Maybe he took two. But what we can see is that he's walking. He leaps up and began to walk. We see later that he's walking and praising God, right? So he's somehow able to walk, never having done that before. I don't know if you've ever watched a baby try to learn to walk, but it's, it takes a while. Mine is almost there. <laughs> and I'm a little nervous. Stuff is starting to get moved up shelves, right? Um, so he was saying to himself, right? Like, imagine yourself as this guy. What are you saying? And you're like, I can't, this is, ha it's happened. What, is this real? Am I dreaming? What's going on? I can't believe this. He's probably, we know that he's, you know, walking around praising God. He's probably praising God at a volume that's not appropriate for the setting he's at, right? He's, he just can't hold it in. It's an amazing scene that if we just read it with a few words that we have, we kind of miss it. And it keeps going in verse 9 with the response of the people. And all the people, all the people like within earshot, saw him walking and praising God which is probably not that odd of a thing to be doing at the temple, right? I mean, praising God a little loud maybe, but walking around, not that big of a deal. But then they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Now, the word that's used there for him clinging to Peter and John is the same word that's used in other places in the New Testament for someone getting arrested by the police. Like he's hanging on to him. Why is he hanging on to him? Well, maybe partly because he doesn't have confidence to walk yet, but also he's hanging on tight, maybe partly out of gratitude, maybe partly out of fear. Like he's, everyone's looking at him now, right? They recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. So thanks to God's power in this moment through the Holy Spirit, this guy who was crippled from birth, disabled from birth, is jumping around, leaping, praising God. I imagine the clutching he's doing is if you've ever watched a, a, a moment where a team wins a championship and all these grown men are hugging each other and jumping, and it's kind of weird, like, what are we doing here? We don't do this in normal life, but we do it in sports. That's what I kind of imagine. That level of exhilaration where you're just, you're just grabbing onto people and hugging them. And so... This is what I want to get to in verse 6. What does the church that's filled with the Spirit 
give. What, what do we have to give? I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. What is Peter saying there? In this text, it's just simply the reality of Peter, but there's also a really important spiritual reality there as well, right? You can only give away what you really have. You can only give away, especially spiritually speaking, what you truly have yourself. So let me just give you a quick example from my own house. And if my wife was in here, she'd be amening a lot. There are things as parents that we want to pass on to our kids. There's things we wish we didn't pass on to our kids, but it happens. But there's things we want to pass on to our kids, right? Uh, But it's hard to pass on what you as a parent don't possess, okay? So in our house, I'm not going to be the one to pass on organization. It's not going to happen, okay? Like, I keep it together for you, for the public, but if you could come over, I was thinking about this this morning. If you came over right now, I don't have a garage, but I have a room designated for, like, all my tools. Absolute chaos in there right now. And that's its natural state because that's my space, okay? My office kind of get in a similar way. Every Monday, I come into my office and I have to kind of like straighten up for the week because I don't know what happened in there except that I was in there all week. That room in our house, I have work tables, right? Usually when you have a work table, you like to do work on the table so you need it cleaned off. But every horizontal square inch of that table is piled with stuff. And that's the natural state of it because for me, I don't possess that organizational thing in me naturally. I have to force it. So it's tough for me to pass that along. I can't give away what I don't have. On the other side of it, in our house, I'm going to be the one to hopefully pass on a love for cooking because I love that. It's part of who I am. It's not forced for me. I just do it when I'm home by myself. I cook for myself. It's just part of like what I like to do and who I am. You might say the spirit of cooking is something that I have and that I can easily give away. I can easily teach other people how to cook because I love to do it. Now, in the church, the one thing that all of us have, if we know and if we love Jesus, is the Spirit of Christ. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling you now. That's why I've said to a few of you, jokingly, when people ask me to pray for things, I will say, well, you know, you have the same Holy Spirit as me. I'm not closer to God than you. We're all equal in that regard. I have a role to play, but we're all equal. This is what Peter and John possess here in Acts And this is what every one of you as a follower of Jesus possess as well. Now, you may not be living into it. You may be like, man, I don't feel like it. But that's what you possess. And Peter Peter and John had within them the the Holy Spirit, the the, another helper from John 14. The member, if you remember back way back to our John series, I know we covered this, that the another helper is another of the same kind. That the spirit of The Holy Spirit is another helper who is just like Jesus because it's the Spirit of God. Paul in Galatians 2 says that Christ lives in me, and what he means is through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Christ lived in Peter and John as well. They are in union with Christ. They are members of Christ. They are, as 2 Peter 1 says, partakers of the divine nature. I wonder if when Peter wrote that, he thought back to this moment. As a partaker in the divine nature, I get to give away what the divine nature brings. They, they could 
give away. They could impart the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit because they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so are you if you know Jesus. There's an old story I came across this week uh, about Thomas Aquinas, who's a theologian of the Middle Ages, kind of the, the greatest theologian of the Middle Ages. And the story goes that he once met with Pope Innocent II, uh, ironic name for a pope, but Pope Innocent II, <laughs> while the pope was counting, right, and this is kind of what I mean, the pope was counting a large sum of money, okay? The pope says to Thomas, you see, Thomas, the church can no longer say silver and gold I have not. And apparently Thomas Aquinas says to him, yes, Holy Father, and neither can she now also say arise and walk. So what about us as a church family, right? What about us as a family? This isn't intended to be an indictment. It's intended to be an invitation. What is it that we have, that we possess, that we can give away? I, I got to tell you, as your pastor, this is a convicting text to study for my own personal self. And then also as we lead in the church, right? We believe that we have the Holy Spirit. I, I could just spew out the doctrine to you. But do we have the Holy Spirit in such a way that we can give the Holy Spirit's power away like this? Do, do we possess it as a church body and as individuals? We can't give away what we don't have. Now, the miracle in this text is a literal historical event, right? Doctor words are used in here. But there's also a spiritual symbolic nature as well that makes it applicable to us. We, the Spirit-filled church... We give away more than just care for the body, although that's part of who we are. I like to reference back in the Gospels. Jesus is preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing, and both of those are seen together. And so, yes, we care about the physical body, but we also give away care and healing for our souls and our minds and our emotions and all those parts of us that make us whole people, which then lead to the kind of response we see from the person who receives any of those kinds of healing, which is what? Joy. I don't know if you've seen it lately, but I know you've seen it, but the kids that are up here on the front row on Sunday mornings, when I get to be up here leading in song and I see them, it's really kind of fun because they don't have any of the church limitations that I do that make me put my hands in my pockets when I sing. They don't care, and I love it. And, and that's the kind of joy that, that Jesus, through his spirit, is calling us to, childlike faith and childlike joy. The spirit-filled church gives away this joy through its ministry, through your giftings, through what God is calling you to do. So here's a little bit of homework this week. I want to just invite you to read the rest of chapter 3 of Acts. I want you to look at the speech from Peter. I'm going to maybe do some kind of little devotional midweek or something, so be looking for that. But look at the speech from Peter, the sermon from Peter, as he takes the opportunity to talk to those who are responding to this healing and the outpouring of joy that comes from it. And so as we close today, though, I just want to ask that question again. What is it that we as Lansdowne Alliance Church truly have that we then are called to give away? It's not silver and gold right? It's not amazing programming. It's not cool stuff. It's the spirit of Jesus. Those other things are good things. We can do a lot of good things with silver and gold. 
But those are not what we possess. Those are tools in our tool belt. But what we possess is the spirit of Christ. And through that spirit, we then can minister in the ways that we see. So I'm asking you to spend some time asking that question this week. And if you hear something in your prayers, I know this is a little odd for me to be saying, but I want to go there. If you hear something in your prayers, an idea, a word, like I literally mean a word, like if a single word keeps coming to your mind as you're praying this way, write that down. I want to know about that. So some idea that you think is coming from the Holy Spirit that's living in you, that's binding us together as a church family. I want to know about that because I'm going to be praying this way this week as well. And what I'm praying for is that one of us would say to another one of us, hey, you know, I think I heard this from the Holy Spirit. And the other one go, no way, me too. And we would be of one mind and one mission and one, one idea of what God wants for us. So what is it that we have that we can give in order to do what we see here in this text, which is to impart healing and impart joy that leads then to people being drawn to hear about Jesus, right? In this text, the whole crowd wants to come and Peter then has opportunity to address them and talk to them about Jesus. So what is it that we have that we can give in order to see those things happen, in order to see people be healed, get joy, and then want to hear more about Jesus through our lives and our life as a church. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for uh, this text of you, this story of your power through, through the Holy Spirit that's living in us. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to reveal yourself to us. We know that each of us who, who love and follow Jesus is indwelled by you, that you're living in us now, that you're the power that raised Christ from the dead is now living in us. And that's you, Holy Spirit. And so we invite you to show yourself to us, to manifest yourself to us in ways that maybe are unexpected and maybe in ways that are very expected and right in the middle of normal. But would you help us to see you when you're at work, when you're moving in us? Would you give us the experience of being unified together in a way that we can only point to you and say the Holy Spirit is doing something? And we ask all this in Jesus' name to the glory of God our Father. Amen.